We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. My name is Jari Bolander. Welcome to the Entrepreneur Ethos Podcast. On this podcast, we're going to take a deep dive into the traits, values, beliefs, and skills of all sorts of entrepreneurs to learn how to build a more ethical, inclusive, and resilient world. Let's get started. Hello, everyone. Stay tuned to the end of the interview, where I'll give you some actionable insights that I learned from my guest. These insights are also in the show notes. As always, thanks for listening. And if you want to support the show, why not pick up the audio version of The Entrepreneur Ethos? Now, on to my guest for today, Vinay Raman, CEO of Carmo and host of the Business Blind Spots Exposed podcast. Vinay grew up around engineers and earned a master's in artificial intelligence and machine learning. He also grew up in the Hindu faith and has always been interested in the intersections and relationships between science and religion. What he's most passionate about is bringing data together with stories. He uses hard data to help companies see where they need to take a closer look and find out the story behind what's happening. This helps companies build a better culture and lead from a heart-centered rather than a simply numbers-driven place. At Carmo, Vinay helps businesses improve performance by gathering data, studying it, and then encouraging managers to find the story behind the numbers. So for example, instead of simply firing an employee who is not meeting standards, data can show specifics about where he or she is lacking and then use that data as a springboard for a conversation that will invite the employee to become better. It may also point to the company itself is getting in the way of performance. Vinay encourages leaders to use questions to achieve better understanding and to invite employees down the road of improvement, flipping the traditional management model. In this model, data becomes critical information, but it's information that forms a basis for a conversation rather than the last word. Now, let's get better together. Vinay Raman. Welcome to the podcast. Hey, thanks so much. Thanks for having me. Oh, well, it's an honor to have the legacy of the Raman family on this podcast. (laughs) 
you're, you, I know your family has been struggling to get the copyright back from ramen for this entire centuries. It turns out centuries. And it's an honor to talk with you about that. We won't get into that because I think it's a little sensitive topic, but we will get into uh, Carmo, the company that you're now forming or have formed and talk a little bit about that. Um, but before we, before we get into all of that, uh, why don't you give us a little background and tell us how you got to do what you're doing today? Uh, sure. Um, there's always been two sides of me, right? And, and I believe there's a component of this in everybody. There's the, uh, the, the what I'll call the, uh, the cold hard facts piece of me, right? I grew up as an engineer, grew up around a bunch of engineers. It's always about, hey, you know, I grew up playing with Legos. There's my, my kids still have some of my Legos. It's it's how things fit together, right? Breaking things down into components, the true engineering, you know, component analysis. There's that part of me. And then there's sort of what, uh, so I, I grew up, I was brought up as a Hindu, uh, but really in any religion, which is more of a heart-based component, right? And I got to imagine people have always had these conversations, depends on what you're drinking or where you're sitting, right? You have these conversations about, you know, science and religion, how do they fit together? I believe that's a question that's been around for ages. Yeah, I think I it's the eternal question. <laughs> it, I, yeah, and and gosh darn it, if I don't think I am taking one step forward to trying to make more clarity, more make some hay of solving that or answering that question. Uh, gosh, that's a nebulous topic right there, <laughs> right? So for me, I, I my background, my my um, education is I've got a master's in artificial intelligence, machine learning, so I get the data side of things, but. I've also have this whole heart-centric leader side of things. I love people, right? I love people's stories. The narratives are so important. How do you weave the stories and narratives with the data, with cold, hard facts? Because I've always found that the data people, the pure data people, no one really is truly pure data, right? The data people say to the narrative people, you don't understand, right? You're not getting it, right? The narrative people say, yeah, but you're missing some stuff, <laughs> right? The fact is both of them are right and both of them are completely wrong, <laughs> The answer is yeah. in the middle, right? 100%, yeah. So where I've come to today is where I've tried to be a heart-centric leader, build and love and care for those people who work for me, right? Uh, nurture them, foster them, raise, rising tide, raises all boats. How do I do that, but also be someone who understands the numbers, right? And that's what's brought me to here. So I've got a background in the numbers, but I've got a, a life of the heart. Does that make some sense? <laughs> oh, of course. No, no, no. It was actually interesting. I was listening to a podcast the other day um, and it was something to do. And I don't, it was, the, it was the knowledge project, which I'm a big Shane Parrish fan. Like, and I don't, for the life of me, I don't remember the guy's name, but he ran Campbell and he ran Nabisco. And I just cannot, his name's on the tip of my tongue. I can't remember. Anyway, I'll figure it out. Um, but he had the same philosophy. And it was interesting because he had, there's for a leader, there's two things you got to worry about people and performance. Yeah. It's like you cannot have one without the other. And he's like, if you take care of your people, the performance will come. Yeah. And I just thought, I mean, this guy, you know, Nabisco, Campbell, he, he did some other stuff too. He, he has now, I think he's retired and he has this like leadership company and he's written a bunch of books. And, but, you know, he's 70 years old and he's talking about this. And I'm just like fascinated by 
big mass. He turned around Campbell's suit. Mm. Apparently, it's a hundred year old institution. We were talking a little bit about this before we started. Like, how do you build a business that lasts a thousand years? Like, yeah, that's that's a big idea, right? He was trying to turn around this hundred year old, like really super, like had some problems. And he started with the people. Yeah, it's 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 really interesting. I, I've got a saying that I've I use all the time, and I I kind of live by, and that is, I can pay for people's minds, but if I get their hearts, I win, right? That's that's number one, and number two is just simply this idea that, gosh, um, I mean Dan Sullivan. I don't know if you're familiar, Dan Sullivan, fam. He he wrote this book called Who Not How, which is when it came out, I was like, yeah, I mean that's the perfect way to say it, right? You know, there's one thing that you you can have as much money as you want in the world, but you still cannot buy one more second of time, right? Yeah. So how do you amplify your time? How do you get more time? Others, right? Get them to do what they love to do uh, in in your pursuit. Gosh, that is a fabulous pursuit for all, right? How do I stand at the at the back of a pack and everyone's running in my in the direction that I want them? My gosh, what a fantastic thing! And they feel fulfilled. (laughs) <laughs> yeah it's it's the ultimate place yeah well and it's the hardest thing to do yeah, yeah and I, I think there's a lot of mindset shift that i've gone through gosh i've made a hell of a lot of mistakes <laughs> i like to say i've made a, a, one more than anyone else in the world uh, i suck more than anybody else uh but i'm willing to so i also believe that there's no such thing as winning and losing there's only winning and learning right mm. constantly yeah. i make i, I royally epic fails and then uh then i'm like all right so what what did i do there <laughs> what did How i not do that yeah. again right yeah 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 so i think that's all of part of the the journey of getting me to here i mean what i do in my current company is just that we try to build the digital narrative do the digital storytelling for employees in a company so the leadership can empathize greater with their employees it unlocks everybody that's the idea interesting yeah so fascinating i uh I have, when I do jujitsu, it's sort of my, you know, working out stuff. And the the professor, we call them professors because it's a Brazilian thing. And he's like, we, we do this drill called a sweet pass submit where we like rotate through. And he's always like, the winner stays in, the learner goes to the back of the line to learn again. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, like jujitsu, you get smashed and choked out and everything. So there's a lot of learning going on, but I love the way he phrases it as learning as opposed to losing because again like i think you're right you only really lose if you stop trying and not learning from these events in your life where you, you got to learn and, and and it's so interesting that you're trying to mash the data the people and the performance together to build a narrative of how a company's doing i think that's what carmo is trying to do. And it's, it's fascinating because there's, has been an effort to do this. Um, there was a company got bought by Oracle then got bought by another company, success factors. That's the one mm-hmm. I'm sure you've heard of success factors where it was this micro, I don't know, micro feedback, I guess, where good job, you know, da, 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 right. Which was sort of, I think the first incarnation of this sort of continuous management and trying to get the feel like, I, I, I don't know how you put it, you probably put it better than I do. It just seemed like they were trying to get the feel with data and 
fallen a little flat. So I'm curious how you get the feel because the feel is important. Yeah, uh, that's a that's the that's the million dollar question, uh, right? Is um, so uh, and let me let me preface it by you know a lot of this has kind of just come from my own personal learning, uh, and actually what I find is more important than learning is unlearning, right? Taking that stuff that I knew when I was 20 years old, take it off the shelf. It's the garage that you have to go and clean every six months, right? It just crap just piles up, right? And that's that's what's up here, right? So how do I figure out? Oh, that's just useless. Throw it out, right? Now I've got room on that shelf for something new. Um, and what I think I've learned is that um, I used to lean into situations because you know I've got a master in artificial intelligence. I'm a smart guy. I can walk into a room and you know hold my own. That's not the point, <laughs> right? It's asking the right question. And now I'm more. I, I I believe that everybody's a genius. Am I smart enough to figure it out? And I challenge myself like that in every single conversation, right? So now the, 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 the million dollar challenge here, right, is going to some of these other folks who, are, who have lived in this place of, I've got the right answer. I've been doing this for 20 years. I know how this works. Yeah, but things change. Have you asked the right question recently? Does that, I mean, does that resonate with you? Yes. Yes, it does. Because I think, and I learned this, <laughs> you know, I, I was married um, I had my first wife, we got divorced. And um, one of the things I learned from that experience was never get a, give advice, only ask questions. And it took a little time for that to sink in. Um, but you're right. Because as, a, as like, if depending on the type of leader you are or mentality, the coach mentality is always about asking the questions to get better and never putting forth your opinion because that limits, I think, limits the scope of what people can come up with. Yeah. So asking the right questions, I think, is the is the more intellectually honest way to go, as well as the better way to go. Um, and I think you got to. I had to retrain myself. <laughs> Again, it took a long time. Hard for me. My, my sometimes I got to beat it into my skull. But I do like that construct of: Am I asking the right questions? And and one of the ways I gauge that and kind of what we've built in Carmo, right, is we take all of the data that the company already has existing, right? And what we start to do is we try to start to find out what are the behaviors or what are the performances, the KPIs. A lot of people talk about KPIs, right? Key performance indicators. Mm-hmm. What are those KPIs that all are associated with effective, right? Ah, now we've started to build a behavior, an archetype from a behavior, just kind of like, a, you know, like an Enneagram or a disk assessment or a, you know, Myers-Briggs, right? You've got an archetype. Hey, this is kind of how you behave. Right. Now right. you give you tell a person, here's what is, right? And here's what I would like. Can I can I invite you to a better place where you and I are both happy? Do you want to come along for the ride? I mean, I call that I call that invitational leadership, right? Not servant leadership. Mm-hmm. Right. Let me invite you to a better place. Do you do you want to come with me? And they get to and so they can say, Yeah, I would like to come along. Fantastic, right? They want to, right? I don't have to push them, right? Right. They're asking it's of their volition. Or they can say, I don't want to. Fantastic. <laughs> right. Thank you very much for your service. It was nice working with you. Right. It makes it easier for both parties, but you don't have to opt in shit you don't want to do. Right. Yeah. Uh, and inviting them to, everyone loves an invitation. That's the way I think of it. Right? Everyone wants to be invited to that better place that they can uh, be part of a better party. Yeah. So, people want a choice and a voice in what they do. Yeah. Absolutely. And by, 
taking this unbiased objective data that actually already is, it's a truth, right? There's no opinions involved there. We're just simply saying, hey, you, you, you made 10 steps, all right? Everybody else is making 18. Well, do you want to make 18? I don't know how to fit that in. Oh, great. That's, that's where, as a leader, let me show you how, right? Let me walk you through. Because that's what a leader's supposed to do, right? They're supposed to be the guide, the coach. They are right? the guide, yeah. I, and let me, I'll say one last thing here on that one topic. And this was a stat that I learned that was uh, really resonated with me. And that's that the uh, average Olympic athlete has nine coaches. That's a big number. Wow. Yeah. Nine, really? Average. Average is nine. nine. Yeah. So if you want to perform world-class, you got to have lots of perspectives constantly asking you questions that draw, allow you to draw further, draw yourself further. Right. Wow. Nine. Huh? So consider that if we want to level up, if anybody wants to level up and you don't even have the first coach, are you really giving yourself the opportunity? I mean, that's kind of the way I look at it. I mean, uh, I, uh, in the absence of having mentors within the company and a formal mentoring system within my company today, we're, we're actually working on setting that up. Uh, that's one of the things I ask everyone. I said, go find people around you, ask them to, you know, whether it's fathers, aunts, uncles, you know, successful business guy down the street, right? Ask them to just sit with you once a month and just tell them what you're doing and tell them, what do you see? Right. And let them draw you forward. Let's just keep, you know, asking the right questions. Yeah. I mean, that's like the difference between the mentor, the coach and the teacher, which is these sort of archetypes or archetypes that, that I always try to like keep in my mind. Cause there's a point where teacher obviously, okay, I'm going to teach you how to do a skill or whatever. Coach gets you better at the skill mentor course correcting, like, ah, you're sort of on the wrong track, <laughs> come back, right. come back, you know? Um, and it's interesting that that's not like as well, as, as an entrepreneur, as a leader, as a growing a company, it's very rarely talked about that. There's three distinct kind of pieces that have to come together in a way. And, and I always, I always think that starting off with the coach perspective, the asking questions perspective, you know, it seems to be a better way to go. And I think one of the reasons it's that way is that it takes you out of it and puts the person in the seat. So I'm just curious how it, it, you know, I know a little bit about karma, but I'd, I'd love to have you give just a broad overview. And then how have you seen it help leaders, help companies ask better questions about what they're doing? Yeah. So Carmo, let me tell you a little bit about Carmo real, real quick. And I think that'll set a little frame, a little context for the, the a little more information there. Um, Carmo is a performance intelligence company. Uh, and what that means is we take the information, the existing data in a company, and we build behavioral profiles for their employees. So now you can start to rack and stack your employees in terms of their performance uh, against a, a kind of the gold standard. How do they? How are they doing against the gold standard? But we'll give you a financial impact analysis too, right? So, hey, Jack is leaving five dollars on the table, and Sally's leaving, you know, three dollars and fifty-eight cents on the table. But whatever the real numbers are, right? We we did a 
uh, we did a study and analysis for a company recently where a, the average employee is making about $300,000 a year in revenue for the company. And we're seeing right around $4,300 a month per employee is the opportunity that they, they could realize if they made all of their employees more effective. Right? And here are the specific roadmap for each employee and the specific roadmap for that company to reach that. I mean, another fifty grand for an employee who makes uh, uh, $300,000 in revenue, that, that, that moves the needle, right? Yeah, it does. So not only does it give the leadership a roadmap in how to have conversations and shift the conversation with the employees, but it also actually endears the employee to the company because now the, the leadership is telling you, let me make you better. All right. And here's what you need to do. And I'm not judging you based on the last three weeks and all I can remember in my head. This is actually what happened. <laughs> right. <laughs> the, yes. The annual performance review yeah. debacle. <laughs> That's right. And I, I don't know any person that I've ever talked to. At least I, I'll talk about myself. I've never gotten up one morning and said, I can't wait to do my five performance reviews today. <laughs> well, then <laughs> it's just. <laughs> We're human. We're only going to remember, like, it's not like it's a continuous process. That's what um, Success Factors was trying to do. Like, let's just constantly get feedback so that at the whatever interval it is, you'll have a really good, you know, kind of swap, like a good representation, not just the last three weeks or four weeks, as you mentioned. So, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's, yeah, so it's, it's a really interesting. Uh, it's a really interesting capability that we've kind of built here in terms of being able to give them insights and a roadmap. Now they can start to say, hey, look, we would like to improve our revenue per hour. Great. So let's figure out where we want to improve revenue per hour and what specific actions. Let's make the roadmap to increase that revenue per hour. Where's the risk that's, what are the risks and where's the leakage in the company that's holding us from doing that, right? And if I start to give more jobs and increase my price, what is affected by that, right? You can start to see how these things, you know, kind of shuck and jive within the company as you do that right, stuff. Right, so right. it's a, it's, it's fun stuff. Now, let me give you, so let me tell you some stories uh, around this, right? Because this is where I really, um, this is what I, where I, I, I kind of get a little tickled by this stuff, right? This, these stories. So we've had, um, people, you know, leadership who sees some of this stuff and they start scratching their head going, so that, that's not happening in my company. And my response to them was like, I'm just telling you what the data tells me, right? I I, I, have not, I haven't put any interpretation on it. I'm just putting numbers right. together. That's it. Right, 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 right. So if you agree with some of them, all of them are probably right. Right, right. Then the thing is the ego kind of starts to move out of the step aside a little bit because they start to get a little curious. Like, well, well, then what does that mean? So we had a specific story uh, it's an organization that's got well over 2,000 employees across uh, 43 office locations, right? How do you manage a culture like that? It's a tough thing to do. So we showed them this one employee just as a sample. And they said, when I, their, uh, their performance says that they're not making many stops. Uh, they're not making many visits. Uh, it's one of these service companies that goes out and visits uh, houses. They said, this is, this is not right. And I said, well, hold on a second. Let me investigate here. We go back and we find out that this employee uh, actually uh, was at work 69, 68% of the time of the average employee. They weren't showing up to work. Right? And as soon as we started to uh, see that information and show them, 
they started to ask, well, why aren't they showing up to work? And we started to find out that they were going to a particular house <laughs> quite a few times. They'd spent 13 hours there over the course of the work, every work week. They're spending a lot of time at the house and they started saying, well, what's going on here? But the point is they, 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 there was a context for a conversation to have with that employee as in, do you have enough work to do? And they started to investigate that. And they, they said, you know, do you still want to work at this company? It just shifted the conversation. In that case, it was about the uh, about the management. In another case, we had um, an employee who was not making a lot of revenue. And management sees this the graph that we show them. And the first thing is like, ah, oh, I knew we need to fire this person. It's like, whoa, 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 hold on, hold on a second. Can, can I show you some other things? And we started to look at how far they have to drive between visits. And they were driving, uh, I think it was 23% farther than anyone else. It wasn't fair. Yeah, not fair. Yeah, for sure. They saw that and they said, hold on, it's not their fault. It's like, that's right. Yeah. I said, whose fault is it? And they kind of said, it's us. Yeah, management. <laughs> you're, you're holding your employees back. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, it's it's those kind of things that come out when that employee never had, never really had a voice in those conversations. Uh, but management now has the ability to see that before they go and talk to them and say, hey, look, I'm putting on a performance improvement plan when it wasn't the employee's fault. Yeah, those PIPs are a whole other can of worms. <laughs> That's right. No, Nobody loves that. Sorry, my battery is kind of running out here a little faster. I'm going to plug some power in here. Oh, okay, yeah. no problem. Yeah, it's because it's funny because there's always the questions behind the questions as well as what are you using to make an assessment of anything, right? And, you know, the world's awash in data. Like, I think you probably would agree with that. Most people don't analyze their data effectively. They don't even look at maybe one one thousandth of what they collect, if that. And I think the objective view of what it means and how it can, you know, how it, how it improves or how it can improve is, I think, the next level of how folks are going to, at least try to kind of manage what in my mind is going to be a completely different paradigm and work, right? Like we've got a lot of remote work. We've got a lot of autonomous work. There's going to be more like, I wouldn't say gig economy, but it seems like more and more people are going to be more freelancing. And I'm curious, you know, you mentioned culture, you know, 2000 people across 30, 40, you know, area, huge disparate workforce. How, has what you're doing influence like building the culture around how to manage that? Cause that's a hard, that's a hard problem. Yeah. So I think there's one other component that I haven't touched on yet. Right. And that is, uh, so, you know, someone told me when I was a kid, you know, you point one finger at someone, you're pointing three fingers back at yourself. I will talk about myself here. And when I've had employees working for me before in the past, I've pointed a finger at some, Hey, you need to pull up your socks. You need to start working harder. When in fact, three fingers are pointing back at me. I don't know what that means, right? I don't know how to improve as a manager, but I know my employees need to work harder. One of the things that we've started to find here is that they're now starting to find out which of the managers are not giving a, they're not building a conducive environment for success, right? They're crappy managers. Yeah. And up till now, how do they manage that stuff? Uh, or how do they look at that stuff, right? They started to look at, you know, office versus office. You brought in $10,000, you brought in $10,000. Okay, they're doing fine. Yeah, what? there's so much noise in that, inf- in that in data right there, right, in that information. 
that is such a broad brushstroke comparing those two managers, right? There's so many confounding factors in there. Now we're starting to see, look, the the dispatch process. I mean, how do you get, you know, how do you give jobs out to people? What jobs do you give? Are there favorites within your company? We can start to show that there's some managers who've got favorites and they give all the cushy jobs to those people and not to the others. Um, so first thing is now we're starting to shift some of the management where there is, look, accountability is important, right? Yeah. In any organization. But now there's an accountability to a standard as in, hey, I'm holding you to the standard. I want, I expect everyone to be performing at this level. And if you've got a lot of people below that, look, management, um, you and I need to have a conversation, <laughs> right? Senior yeah. management to, to middle management. Does, yeah. that, does that make some sense? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I've always seen, I've always seen this as fundamentally the role of like a manager is to make sure that their people under their charge are successful. Uh, you know, and, and typically like in the tech world where I'm from, the manager was usually promoted for technical prowess, not necessarily managerial prowess, which are two very different things. <laughs> right. Not saying you don't need some expertise in what you do, but you really need to understand how human nature works and motivation. And since, you know, by nature, humans have biases and we're like, you know, we're a bag of, we're a mess, right? We're just this bag of emotions. It's a mess. <clears throat> Understanding the, the bias and or favoritism in a certain situation really does, if it can be made neutral, quote unquote, I think that's sort of like, the, again, the conversation, like, well, why are you, why is your performance not up to speed? Why are you not hitting the standard? Now, if no one hits the standard, then you got to talk about the standard, but Sure. Generally, you know, if you're reasonable and rational about this, there's a distribution. The distribution is going to be X, Y, Z. You're going to have a standard, and like you're either above or below the standard. It's fascinating, and I don't think this could happen at any other time, given the amount of data we collect, the amount of technology. You know, artificial intelligence, machine learning is just exploding. Like it seems every company's got AI in their name. <laughs> <laughs> Or baked into the DNA somewhere, right? Or somewhere. I mean, that's you know, right. it's it's a huge buzzword bingo right right now, and yeah, um, right. it just it's interesting because do you you do you actually use your own tools at your own company? We do actually. Uh, uh, the interesting thing is, our the the tool is made usually when there's a role when there's about five five is really really small in a particular role mm-hmm. to. Uh, really like to have about 25 or so as a sort of a, you know, when you start talking about statistical sampling, right, it starts to become much more statistically significant, right? Because there's a lot of statistics built into what we're doing, right? That's all AI and ML kind of stuff anyway, right? Right. Um, our company is, uh, we've got 11 people working on the back end operations of all this stuff, right? So we've got 11 different roles. And that's why we keep saying to ourselves, we got to keep eating our dog food. So while we measure all this stuff, uh, we don't have a an A and a B to do split testing on yet, right? Or or or, but this this is exactly where we're trying to get to is because as we're hiring more people, that's one of the things we've started doing, and that's what a lot of the companies have started doing is they build this archetype and say, hey, you you when you come in and day one, I'm going to slide this sheet of paper across the table to you and say, this is what your day will look like, right? These are the standards I hold you to, and this is what I'm holding you accountable for. Is is that interesting to you? And I can answer any questions. So by the, to, to answer, come back to your question, we're measuring all those metrics internally ourselves, so that we can build those archetypes and say, this is what the successful person in that role has done in the past. So 
but look, when you come in to do social media management for us, right? This is how we measure you. These, this is what we're doing. And if you hit these metrics, we're smiling, right? And, and it, it should be that black and white for an employee because there's clarity of, of how they fit into the vision. So, yeah, and I could almost also assume that at, over time, when you have a diversity of customers, that you're going to have a data set where you can benchmark like this is, yeah. you know, I could see that as being like, okay, well, maybe we don't have, maybe you're, you, you're, you know, at your company, there's this unique one role, but then across kind of like what they do benchmarking at fortune 500 companies yeah. really start to understand that that way it almost seems like, yeah, you could really like set a standard for what that particular role would be at some company. Now, of course, granted things are different, but you get more granular. It seems like it's going to get more and more granular that way. Yeah. So what, what, what we're finding is, and, and I, I don't have enough data to give you a, a number yet. Uh, I, I, I kind of give you a gut feel and it's right around the 68, 70% range, right? 68 to 70% of a company is pretty much damn near the same in the same market, right? Whether it's a, whether it's a database, you know, it, systems integrator that does a lot of work with the databases or a company that does HVAC work, right? 70, 70% is about the same. The last 30% has everything to do with the culture of the company, the culture and the management, and the culture and the management is driven by the culture. So many companies have talked about culture, but they haven't defined core values. They haven't activated those core values. They don't run with those core values as a measuring stick, right? And that's where the variance really starts to begin, right? They don't, they haven't defined it. They brought it from the last company that they worked at and they brought it here and they're trying to, and they can't figure out why it doesn't fit. Oh, it's mm. because you're in a different company. You're at 20, you're a 28,000 person company. You're now seven. Yeah. <laughs> it's different. <laughs> yeah. Culture right. is definitely, it's the water you swim in. That's right. So which I, I, I believe over time, that's what would be the really exciting stuff, not only to build those industry benchmarks and standards for, Hey, here's, here's what someone in this role would do and what their day looks like. And here's what they should get paid. Right. So it's not whether you're a black, white polka dot uh, or, you know, 19 feet tall, it doesn't matter, right? Because this is what the role requires, right? Yeah, that's the standard. Um, so building a standard like that, but then also being able to show them that, hey, look, the, the organizations that do really well have supremely strong, strongly embedded cultures. And those don't happen overnight, right? It takes time. It takes time and effort. <laughs> that's it. It's interesting that it, well, it's interesting that it's like a, 70 30 split that's that's so fascinating it's just yeah I, i'm sorry go ahead no 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 i just like as a gut feel you know i would say 80 20 like the 80 20 rule but you know because I, I interviewed someone else about uh creativity and they were specifically doing about design they were actually a brand design and it's called z brand and they're okay. they're out of the japan and he he's like, well, you know, 70% of brand design of design in general is cookie cutter formulatic. It's like 30%. That's where the creativity is. So if you can get the 70% nailed down by standards and processes and requirements, and then you can just focus on the 30%, you'll get more creative design. And it's interesting that your numbers close to that. I mean, it could be whatever number, but Imagine a time where your company has the standards of, you know, the standard for certain roles, uh, unequivocally, 
doesn't matter, black, brown, red, yellow, blue, whatever. This is just what it is. So that management can now focus on the most important thing, which is the culture. As you mentioned, it's really important. And it's the differentiating factor because of what I think is the, just the dynamic nature of the world. Like you got to be resilient <laughs> to change. That's how, you know, how your culture adapts to the unknown is what I think is the difference between success and failure. Yeah. I mean, absolutely. I mean, if let's talk in the, you know, as a close analogy of that is, you know, I heard another statistic, gosh, I'm spotting all kinds of statistics today, um, that in the last uh, 250 years, we've had 10 pandemics, right? So every 25 years, we've had a pandemic on, on, uh, here on, on earth, right? And the human body is this incredibly resilient organism that continues to evolve past. Yeah, sure. There, unfortunately, there are people who are no longer because of those pandemics, right? And that's, and that's the sad thing. But yet the human body gets better and stronger and adapts to it. Gosh, our business organizations, if we could build them with some, some degree of the complexity of the way the human body responds to things. I mean, to me, the human body is an amazing machine. It's incredible how it works, right? How multidimensional it is. If we could start to understand some of those dimensions and start to in, weave them in, to integrate them into the way we run our businesses, to build resilient organizations because we understand the stories and the narratives and the data that's happening. Gosh, I tell you, that's a world I want to be part of. That sounds freaking amazing to me. <laughs> yeah, because, I mean, just look at the COVID stuff, right? The resiliency by by just had to. People had to adapt and overcome certain things. Right. Some businesses didn't make it because I think they weren't thinking about, you know, what would happen if, and, and a lot of people think that's like negative thinking, you know, like I interviewed this one guy, uh, he runs this company it has, I don't remember the name, but it's about gratitude. His, his name's Tim Young. He's an yeah. interesting guy, right? He also writes books on prepping and he's like, you know, he's got a, a self-reliance kind of stint, you know, and he's talking about prepping and how, you know, there's all sorts of negative things, but fundamentally he's like, look, you have to prepare for when a catastrophe happens, if there's a probability of it happening. And I think to your point about using the data of what you guys are collecting, having a baseline and kind of figuring out how that resiliency is going to be built in is because like, you now know what this means yeah. and now you can plan for that. And his point was like, we will be prepared for the disaster that may happen in your community. That's all he was saying. And it's like, that's, and I think, I think people are going to start realizing this because of COVID and because the work environments are now starting to change. And because you want to have an objective measure of someone's performance, regardless of how you feel about them, regardless of what they look like, because we all have the, again, we have the biases, but when it's backed up, when you have like what you have, now we can have conversation, which I love. I, I, you're on to something. It seems like you're on to something. <laughs> well, well, thank you. Yeah, we talk in terms of uh, sort of like as a, a pyramid kind of telling the story, right? Um, it, you start with data, right? Data is just pure measurement, right? Metric doesn't have really any intelligence to it. You click, press the button once, you press the button twice, right? So then you have data. Then you have KPIs. I pressed two button and that press button twice over the last three weeks, right? So there's some time to it. Those KPIs, when bounded together, become part of a behavior, right? KBIs, behavioral indicators. Here's the cool thing. As an organization, there's always a larger, larger unit. 
we call them KCIs, key culture indicators, right? Now we can start to measure teams and departments and the interaction with each other. Is sales truly holding up uh, operations? Well, you can find out where, right? Uh, and now you can start to, because look, another thing I think as a leader that I'm always looking to do is reduce friction for my people, right? Reduce friction, reduce friction. That's all I do, right? Make it easier for them to step through the doorway because then, then I get to sit back on weekends finally. <laughs> Is that's the idea? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think I think that's your job as a leader: reduce friction and set the vision. I mean, yeah. every time you know we talk about you know like digital marketing and all the kind of things, the KPIs and everything, and every it's interesting because as I always talk to people about it, I said, look, every action that you need someone to take will reduce by probably an order of magnitude the amount of people that'll continue on because that's a friction point. That's right. fric- friction's bad. I mean, generally it creates heat and it wear and tear and people don't like it. So when the mindset is reduce friction, which I think is good, like, of course, there's going to always has to be checks and balances. You can reduce friction so much to the point where it's the wild west and things just don't work. <laughs> right. Right. You know, you're like, I don't want to ship bricks. I got to have some process. But to your point about friction, and, and I like the way you put it, like, you know, I need to reduce friction so it's easier for them to walk in the office, show up, and do what they're there to do and in a culture that's supportive. And if you can focus more on the culture as opposed to the day-to-day friction, it's, I think the world gets better because that's what's la- it feels like that's what's lacking. Because there's like, and I, and I don't know what your thoughts are on this, but a lot of a lot of big companies are like debating when they come back. Right, like, oh, we got to be in the office, duh, 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 you know, and it's some of it's really tone deaf and very myopic because you can't like go to the office. You're like, well, okay, well, if I've got kids and I'm in a place that does doesn't go back to school, what the hell am I going to do with the kids? I mean, we had this problem in San Francisco before they went back to kids went back to school. It's like, what are these what are these poor mothers going to do if they have to work or fathers or I'm working from one of well, the other one I didn't know is like, I'm working from home. My whole family's in the two bedroom apartment. I, I actually want to go to the office because they're driving me crazy. So I'm curious what your thoughts are on how, like, how can what you do make those, those decisions less myopic? I mean, data-driven, yes, but also heart-driven and their people and performance and all that. But people are just making s- kind of silly decisions based on nothing, you know? Yeah, I I think it has a lot to do with uh, understanding the deeper narrative, right? Uh, I've got a a daughter. Uh, She comes back from school and she has a problem. She and I love to have talks. And it used to be that I used to get mad when, you know, I I would say, hey, hold on, why why aren't you doing your math homework here or whatever else it was? And I stopped doing that. I started asking, so what's going on? And I found it often wasn't about the math homework at all. Right. It was it was some interaction with her best friend from a you know, two days ago that it was still kind of rattling around in her head. How many of us go to work? You know, you know, this morning I had a conversation with my wife. I don't know that I like the outcome of that conversation. Right. It probably wasn't. And that was probably at seven o'clock this morning. And I'm mentioning it to you four thirty in the afternoon. <laughs> right. It's still in my head. Right. It's still flavoring how I think. So by being able to see these deeper narratives through visualization you get a chance to ask a better question, right? Look, if, if these large corporations start to think about, hey, how many people can come back to the office? How many people want to come back to the office? 
how many people are going to be actually more productive if they come back to the office? I think those might, and I, I don't know a lot about the topic, right? So I'm, I'm not professing to be a, an expert here, but it seems like there's some questions that, that could be asked that might actually yield more insight as to what is the right path, right? I think so many people want to try to get to a black and white answer very quickly. Yeah, good point. Oh, gosh, what a, what, what a short-sighted way of doing things. Black and white are Nothing in the world, in nature, exists in black and white. (laughs) It's all shades of gray, right? That's right. That's right. I mean, when you go to the store to pick up a banana, you never get a perfect banana. One's modeled, one is is not. And strawberries. Have you ever been able to pick good strawberries? (laughs) I've been looking for years, right? (laughs) (laughs) Unless you grow them yourself. And even then, it's like tomatoes, right? It's like you grow tomatoes yourself. They taste different. I don't know why. I mean, I know why, but like, it's different, but yeah, it's, it's, you gotta, you gotta understand the story, right? You gotta exactly. be, you gotta experience it. You gotta be able to see it. Right. Uh, and I think that's kind of where it, it, it hopefully furthers us as a, hopefully as a population, as a world, as, as a people, right. That people can start to see the deeper narratives of others and allowing them to empathize allows them to say, Hey, let me, sh- let me invite you to that next place and show you how I can help. Right. Yeah, uh, that's I, that's good for all. Yeah, I wonder how we do get to more of a narrative-driven, probabilistic, empathetic world. Because you know, nothing's black and white. There's always shades of gray. Like you know, my my fiance always says, "Everyone's something and something else." <laughs> so I mean, because you're just a bunch of these ands, right? You may show up differently or whatever. Yeah. It's not ors, it's ands. Right? Yeah, yeah, I am. Uh, yeah, exactly. And and I think part of it, I one of my beliefs in that regard is, is it, it, we've come to this stage where a lot of people identify their self worth with how much they know, right? With their degrees. Some, some one of my friends calls it alphabet soup, right? Everybody comes on CNN or Fox News or whatever else, and there's 15 people who've got credentials out the wazoo, <laughs> and they're all saying stuff, and you're like, I don't know if I agree with that. Yeah. That's because it has nothing to do with intelligence, right? And it has everything to do with your understanding. So I think the ego is playing a huge factor in all of this, right? A lot of us, uh, you know, the in- intelligence has a lot to do with the ego. But IQ is all about living in the past, right? Somebody else has done it. Someone else has figured that out. What have you figured out, right? Figure that out for yourself. And that's where, that's where you add value, right? Figure out your people. There's yeah. lots of value there. I don't know if that answers the question. No, it does. It does. It does. I think we just got to figure out a way to move there. So what, so what, what would you sort of, what questions would you have the next generation of entrepreneur ask themselves as they think about going on the journey? What, what do you think? Um, two words that I've been starting to hear a lot and have been starting to uh, resonate a lot with me recently are the words alignment and congruence, right? You've got to be in alignment and congruence with yourself, right? Uh, in your family unit, uh, <laughs> you know, someone said, a lot of people say, I want my business to be like, you know, like a family. Uh, and he said, I wouldn't wish my family dynamic on any company. <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh, yeah, me too. Like, I'm with you. <laughs> I'm with you. I, don't, I, don't, I don't know anybody who's got the Leave it to Beaver family at home, no. uh, at home or at work, no. right? He said it's more of like a sports team. And what do sports teams do? They have boundaries. They have lines, Mm -hmm. right? They know have goals. They have rules by which they play. And therefore, people know how to play the game, right? Mm. 
So being able to have people see, get that clarity. I mean, a lot of people join a company for the vision. They leave because of management, because there's no clarity in the middle, right? Tying them together. So building alignment and clarity in what you're trying to do as an entrepreneur, right? Where are you trying to get to? And, you know, I won't ask that question why, but where are you trying to get to, right? Does it align with that why that you're trying to support? Because that's a hard question to answer, right? And I, I investigate that all the time. Is it worth all the stuff that I've put to the side to do this? And if, oops, and if the answer is a resounding yes, then I do it. If it's not, then why not, <laughs> right? So I think it's a lot of self, um, self-inspection around what is it that you want to do and does it really align with your purpose, right? Mm-hmm. If it doesn't, go, go, find, go find something that does, right? Something that you do with a passion, you'll do well. And willpower is short-sighted. It, you run out of willpower every single day. Passion, you can have, passion and commitment you can have for the rest of your life. Yeah, agreed. Wow. Does that make any sense? <laughs> yeah, of course. Yeah, it makes a ton of sense. I love it. I love it. No, thank you so much for being on the show. This has been so fascinating because you know, I haven't met many people that kind of take the data and the people and munge them together in a way that is trying to like really understand this and get that 70% of the stuff that just should happen and then focus on the real stuff that matters. Like this is what creativity, like for me, you know, writing books, books and stories have structure. There's rules. You got to follow the rules or no one will read your book, but there's 20 to 30% of that. That's all you, (laughs) and that's on you. That's, that's your thing. And I think, you know, what you're trying to do is let's put the, let's put the creativity and the management on the track of figuring out what's been. And that's, that's pretty cool. So appreciate your time. Well, Hey, I I appreciate all the questions that it's, uh, it's always fun to talk to people who are, uh, who are always re- reaching me forward too, right? They're asking me questions. I was like, oh, hold on a second. I got to think about that. So I, <laughs> I appreciate that. I, I, I love these kind of conversations. Thank you for the time. Thanks, Vinay, for the awesome conversation about uh, stories and you know data-driven management, yet also heart-centered. That's a really powerful uh, message. So as promised, here are some actionable insights that I learned from Vinay. Get aligned with your purpose. Does what you want to do align with your purpose? Make sure you're following your passion because willpower alone will only get you so far. And, you know, we talk about this all the time, right? What are you passionate about? What are you good at? You know, of course, you got to be passionate about something, but you also have to have the skills to pull it off. So if you're passionate about, you know, playing a sport, but you're not, don't have the skills, yeah, you're not going to be that successful. But I do think it's important to, um, have that passion and then have the skills in order to realize that passion. Real intelligence is about more than learning what others have learned. It's about also learning things for yourself by asking questions and learning from mistakes and failures. Also ask, what do you need to unlearn? And I love this uh, question because the unlearning of things that may, you know, build a uh, kind of silo in your head about what's good and what's not good. I mean, unlearning, I think, is sometimes just as important as learning something new. So keep that in mind. Core values matter. Company culture affects about 30% of the results you get, is according to his estimation. 
Take the time to develop and articulate what the core values are for your company and use those as a foundation for everything you do. So the question to ask is, what are the core values of your company? Or even, what are your core values? You know, um, it seems a little cliche sometimes. It also seems a little like woo-woo. But um, having that North Star of what you are trying to attain, the you know bigger than yourself, bigger than the company kind of value matters a lot. Because a lot of times you may, you know, zig and zag on your, you know, you know, your product, your service or whatever. And it's really the problem that you're trying to solve. So it's good to have kind of a higher level core value of where you're trying to go to. So there you have it. Those are the actionable insights that I learned from the interview. Thanks for listening. And we'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to the Entrepreneur Ethos podcast. I hope you enjoyed this episode as much as I did creating it. My hope is that you learn something that can make you a little bit better. If you enjoyed the podcast, please do share it with friends and review it on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. You can also join my email list by visiting theentrepreneurethos.com to get my thoughts on what I'm doing to get better, as well as what I'm working on. You can also pick up my book, The Entrepreneur Ethos, if you want to learn the traits, values, and beliefs that I think we need to build a more ethical, inclusive, and resilient entrepreneur and frankly, world community. Feel free to follow me on Twitter at The Daily MBA and let me know if you have any questions or recommendations for a guest you'd like me to talk to. Also, drop me a note if you try anything we talked about on this or any other episode. I'd love to hear what's working for you. Until next time, keep getting better. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.